previously on Bad Radio. Can you recite the Pledge of Allegiance right now? Yes. She's up. Here we go. Hello. Put your hand over your heart, Jan. Hand over your heart. To the flag of the United States of America, for which it wants and where it comes. What? Under, uh, of under the nation, one flag under all, for God and government for all. She nailed it. Yeah, she did. That is the best pledge of allegiance. I, Jan. That is great. High five, Gordon, Seriously. right now. Good Seriously, job, Jan. Good job. That's all right. Good job, Jan. What is my perfect crime? I break into Tiffany's in midnight. Do I go for the vault? No, I go for the chandelier. It's priceless. As I'm taking it down, a woman catches me. She tells me to stop. It's her father's business. She's Tiffany. I say no. We make love all night. In the morning, the cops come and I escape in one of their uniforms. I tell her to meet me in Mexico, but I go to Canada. I don't trust her. Besides, I like the cold. 30 years later, I get a postcard. I have a son, and he's the chief of police. This is where the story gets interesting. I tell Tiffany to meet me in Paris by the Trocadero. She's been waiting for me all these years. She's never taken another lover. I don't care. I don't show up. I go to Berlin. That's where I stash the chandelier. All right, James, what I'd like to do is get a female up here. And I don't know if it's going to be your soulmate. Maybe. Let's keep our fingers crossed. But if it's not... Oh, dear. Oh, no. If it's not, it's at least practice for you and how to... Converse with a woman, maybe pick up a woman. So do we have a volunteer? Oh, no. Is there somebody who... Right come on there. up here. Come here. Yeah, come, come on. on. Come here. You said me. You were yelling me. Me. Come on. Lovely woman. James, you'd be... You're interested in her, certainly. Here, I feel like I'm well, blocking no, him. No, Sweetie, we'll treat you right, okay? Ryan. This is Ryan. Okay, have a seat right here. Oh, would you would you be willing to kiss James here in front of us? Here we go. Oh, oh, oh. there you go. Wow, she sold that. And the condom is still on, everybody. Oh my everybody God. is protected. Okay, now, that. now, now the question is, James, will you stand up? <laughs> no, I don't think so. How was that, James? Pretty good. Yeah. We want to tell you the stuff we're not good at, our weaknesses. So we're clear up front. Okay. We're not generally comfortable in an office setting. I would say. I get cooped up. I won't go into an office that's ever been used before. I am no good before 11 a.m. I also get headaches from computers, so I can't be around them for too long. I take stuff. I need to have someone go up and down with me in the elevator. I have a weakness for sweets. Other weaknesses? We're slow learners. And we're not particularly good listeners. That'll be, a, that'll be a huge problem. We're also slow learners. Nice charts. <laughs> Those are old school George too. Those are oh, not a, none of the uh, real long designs on the back end. Of James, Those are what's his school. name? Kobe. Yes, Uh-oh. Kobe. Kobe Smith. Now, Kobe. do you know Kobe? What? How long have you been working up there at the ticket? This is my uh, first full year. I, I interned partly one day a week last year. Okay, so but you're pretty yeah, you're pretty clued into what's going on up there, right? Yeah. What's, what's his what's last the, name? What's the afternoon show? Bob and Dan. Yeah. Yep. You're, and right. Then you're right. And then the hard line. Right. And who's on the hard line? I forgot he's on the hard line. Yeah. Cool. This is an intern at our station. <laughs> the great snake. He never heard of him. <laughs> dude, Man, I love you. Dude, 
You know, like all the interns we have, how they're like just obsessed with the ticket. They know every little minor detail about what's going on for 20 years. He doesn't even know who's on in the afternoon. He just called you Kobe. Kobe. You're Kobe, correct? I know you. You're Kobe. Do you sure. know who anyone, we just met. Do you know any, anyone else on the hard line? Like who does the show with? Yeah, do you know the Kobe? guy that, that we do the I do the show with? Ah, shut up, everybody! I don't know. I'm the huh? Uh, Hammer, isn't it? Oh dear! Whoa! Used to be. Why do people? Where is Mike? Where the hell is Mike? This is so awesome. Wait, where is Mike? <laughs> is Ryan's not back there? I love Kobe. This is so great. <laughs> He's never. Kobe does the show with the Hammer. <laughs> You are priceless. You are priceless, dude. You really are. But man, don't you go change it. Yeah, I know. James, I love you. Look, look. I want you to remember this. This moment. I want you to look me in the eye because I got you your first tongue. All right, Kobe. Who got you your first tongue? Kobe. That's right. (laughs) Kobe. Kobe. No, you're right. Kobe. That's right. Yeah. I'm going to drive a big truck. I'm going to rule this world. I'm going to kick some ass. I'm going to rise. I'm going to kick a little ass. Rock, flag, and eagle. We can't even fix a, a horse's bones. Just doesn't seem right. We have uh, christened the elegant lady. Right about now, Sports Radio 1310 The Ticket presents the Bob and Dan Weekly Wrap-Up Podcast. This week, Kirk Goldsberry, The Crow Line, and Bad Radio Re-Re-Reviews Point Break. Also, Jake Z, Hashtag He's on Mino, Julie Dabbs, R.I.P. T.K. Plumbing, and R.I.P. Donnie Doo. And now two guys who want the ultimate. It's Bob Sturm and Dan McDowell. Shut it down. Let's go. So grown. So huge. Fuck out of here. Out of control here, Bill. I don't want audio. Football, football. Isn't football great? Man, I love football so much. You want the ultimate. You got to be willing to pay the ultimate price. Is this it? Is this it? Get up. No idea what to do right now. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Greetings and salutations, P1. So welcome again to another episode of the Bad Radio Weekly Wrap-Up Podcast, covering the week of May 24th. On this week's podcast, we have the Crow Line. We also talk your Golden State Warriors. We have author of the book, A Sprawl Ball, Kirk Goldsberry, talking with Bad Radio. We have a Bad Radio Reports on Raptors Superfan. We have some not listening audio and a point break re re review. We start things off with the crow line. Time for that Friday crow line, Jake. He's been slaving over a hot enco. And here you go. Start of message. The Uber uh, charger. We're doing it now. Here it is again. Let's start. That gets taken immediately. That gets stolen within one night. So you can't have a court back there because it gets stolen immediately. Always be worrying about the bead. You must always worry about that bead. Hey, guys. I just want to declare that I really, really worried 
about the beef. Dan, you and your filthy mustache need your ass kicked, you arrogant son of a bitch. Hey, what's up, you f***ers? Why don't you eat some and suck a You know what? I'm sorry about all my aggressiveness. I love you guys. And Jake, you. Uh, hey, uh, this is, uh, quarterback Skyler Murray. Uh, boy, I'm sure glad I found myself smart enough to, uh, you know, grow on Bob's face. He's really going to help me next year when I, uh, need to break down some defenses and, uh, you know, call out a corner blitz or, uh, or, uh, or, or, uh, or, uh, oh God, I'm turning into him. So Dan is a real bitch dealing with this fucking ban. He's banning the P1s because some motherfucker had to go do some fucking joke with soccer. Dude, Dan, it's fucking soccer. It's soccer, dude. Yeah, I was by curious why Friday follow-up isn't also known as Fatwa Friday. What happened to Fatwas? Anyways, I just think it would uh, possibly make y'all show a little bit more endearing to the Mujahideen and get you some new listeners. Yeah, so I heard you guys talking about Rubnet Odor's baseball demise being tied to his Pancho Bautista a few years ago. Have you considered that it might coincide with his little brother Rube Ned's ill-fated initiation into the minor leagues? Hmm. Don't ever change the open. It's so great. Sometimes I call the crow line just to hear the open. Leave it. No funeral. Do not change the intro. You have to have time to get ready. It's like that first awkward steps when you're trying to break dance. You know, that's that's what you got to get ready. You got to get yourself hyped. It's like uh, Chevy Chase in vacation with the Christy Brinkley scene when he's slapping his hands going, this is crazy, this is crazy, this is crazy. You got to work yourself up so you cannot change that. How else could somebody get their voice ready to sing? Uh, hey, Dan, this is Ken Molestina. I actually have changed my name. Uh, my given name was Pete, um, Pete Pedo Diddler, so I changed it. I think the biggest thing to appreciate about Nav is that he takes Drake's ability to claim he's the number one Raptors fan away from him forever, and uh, that just really brightens my day to take something away from Drake. Gentlemen, Shannon Colleyville. Uh, you did a story on why Tavis and Suck on Monday about the first time a speeding ticket was given out and that a bike stop arrested a taxi cab driver for going 12 miles an hour. My question is, is when a bike cop arrests somebody like that, did he have to handcuff him and then have him sit on the handlebars as he pedals him to jail? Here is Mike Saroy and B-flat major. Dan Mill, about 200 miles away. Got there. Julie. I would like to ask for your hand in marriage. I have a farm. I don't blame him. I wouldn't have given the ball back either. In the words of the great Bernie Mac, them kids. I love how Dan thinks people look at his mustache and just assume there's a bit going on or a bet going on. Like, normal people don't make bets about the way they look. I know that's a totally normal thing at the ticket, but out in the wild, I would just think that guy's an idiot. Story about sending a message to somebody else. I accidentally IM'd my boss, talking about my boss. This is like MSN Messenger back in the day. I said, I can't believe this idiot did it again. Straight to her. I stood up and turned around. She is not in her office. Ran into her office. 
deleted the message on her computer, went back to my desk, scot-free, boom. Veterinarians are snake oil salesmen. They will rob you blind. They can't even fix a horse's bone. Hey, Jake, use me in the crow line on Friday. No, use me in the crow line. Are we on this the crow is Murray, line right this now? This is Joe. And we never listen. Use Dan. Something like that. Yeah, Julie, you got anything clever for the No, actually, no, here's my request, for real, for real. I heard it on the uh, the Musers, the, uh, the the e-break last week. I want low-energy Jamie Ben to call in. Hey, guys, it's Jamie. Hey, I uh, just want to let you guys know I, uh, I've been thinking about uh, growing my brand a little bit. And uh, so I've started a podcast um, during the off-season. It's called In the Box. It'll be basically um, an energetic look at uh, uh, the hockey, uh, things on the hockey front, and also sexual exploitations that uh, myself and Sakes will be going through uh, during the summer. So, you know, tune me in. Find me on iTunes. Uh, look forward to, you know, talking with you guys later. Shout out to Alabama for being the only state that didn't air that 80-minute abortion last night. Thanks, Game of Thrones. Aaron Rodgers is a f***ing simpleton. And everyone's saying that Brand didn't have the best story, that Arya had a better story, that Cersei had a better story. Pay attention and think for two damn seconds. Brand's story is not his personal character arc in the show. He has the memory of all man and all existence, past and future. His story is the story of the whole damn kingdom. So shut up with the stupid f***ing brand story wasn't as good as other people's. It is Wednesday night. You guys are at point break. I wish I was there. I hate you. I thought you guys had sickened me enough with your Game of Thrones talk, but then I had to listen to you guys with your exaltations of praise for point break, which was by far one of the crappiest effing movies ever created. Last night, I peed in the same stall as Jake. Here's a great idea. Let's give a sold-out theater little BB guns. Yeah, great idea. Hey, Alamo, that's a nap. Hey, Jake, it's James. I only uh, get one phone call a week, but I heard your joke at Point Break last night. I just wanted to say two totally different types of guns. Totally different. But anyway, I uh, appreciate what you guys do. Uh, go Rangers, and I'll see you at the showing for the Dark Knight. Hey, this is Johnny Utah. My parents may be dead, but I still never listen to Bob and Dan on the ticket. End of message. Yeah. 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 So, a couple of good things in there. He's right. Fatwas need to come back. Says you. I say P1 birthdays during Why Today Doesn't Suck need to come back. Well, I've issued a fatwa that fatwas will come back. You go ahead. The ball's in your court now. What are you going to say? I unissued it. You're going to fatwa his fatwa? Yeah, would you like to issue a fatwa about birthdays? I double stamped your triple stamp. You can't or double no, stamp. Triple you stamp, can't double, double stamp, stamp triple stamp. You can't fatwa fatwa. 
La, 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 la. Uh, also, Jamie Ben, uh, different guy. That guy's energy was way too high. It really was. That, uh, way too high. Maybe it was just early in the morning, the e-brake voting. Uh, but I, I do enjoy e-brake voting Jamie Ben. And <laughs> then uh, kudos for a nice Alabama politics slash Game of Thrones joke. Really made me think. Really made me uh, go to the uh, politics.com website and just brush up on that whole thing. Man, I have that website blocked. All right. That was good. Well, there is... Shout uh, out to Styler Murray. <laughs> shout out oh, to Styler, Styler Murray. Murray. Yes, that's right. I thought that was last noticed. week. Yeah. If, uh, yeah, Sty's just a... Just, Your eye looks great. Just a memory. Yeah, it feels great. <laughs> it feels great. Sty-free. At least uh, at least that we can tell. There might be a might be just harboring Sty's now as opposed to them fully blossoming on my eyeball. <laughs> can you get... Uh, vaccinated against that? Sty vaccination? I think you just have to keep people from farting on your pillow. <laughs> I think that's the only key. Bad radio talks your Golden State Warriors. But here's Dan with book. Yeah, well, it's just Warriors talk. Warriors. And uh, I'm currently uh, halfway, three quarters of the way through Beta Ball which is a book about the Golden State Warriors and just how they put it all together. And I think, uh, I don't know how far the book goes. I'm only three-quarters of the way through, but it uh, seems like it might just go through their first championship. Hmm. I don't know if it gets to... Uh, I can't remember. LeBron's Miracle. I think it, uh, I think I don't it think actually... I think it gets past far, farther past that. I oh. think it might go to the year where they got the title back with Durant. Oh, okay. I think. But I'm fascinated on the building, as I would imagine every NBA fan is, because we all want to do it, right? Now, if you can be really, really bad and draft LeBron, that's a good way to build a team, right? Yeah, I, I if, think if you what, get like the best player I, in a generation. I, my thought about the Warriors and what made them enjoyable for me was seeing Boston, Los Angeles, Miami. And a few other teams try to assemble superstars at free agency who all agree to go someplace at the same time. And I didn't like it. And so Golden State felt organic and homegrown. Yeah. Almost well, and, completely. And they had certain kind of players they were looking for. They planned for this. This didn't kind of fall in their lap. They do want the players who... Uh, Draymond Green is a great example. Even though in his year they drafted him, he was the third pick by the Warriors that year. He was their second yeah, second who round was the pick. big man? Uh, Can't remember Festus his name. Yeah, Festus that's Cicilli. Right. Yep, yep, that's who it was. So much like Belichick and Brady, right? Oh, if he really knew how great Brady was, why did he wait till the sixth round to get him? Dude, they did. They tried to even... It took David Lee getting hurt for Draymond to even become like a thing. Absolutely, like it, absolutely, it he never now, started but... a game until he got hurt. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, if you were thinking, and then their coaching hell, it's, change, it's identifying Dak. Right. Identify, you know, their coaching changes always felt like. Well, let's get they to were that in a, a second. A cowboy spot with Garrett, maybe. And it, it look the coaching change, we required a ton of forward thinking and boldness because it got. Ripped, but I don't want to start with that here. I just okay. want to start with a couple of things that happened. You know, I would imagine you need a good amount of luck as well. You know, you need a little bit of luck. You you need. Uh, 
if you rely solely on luck, then I don't think you're going to do well. But uh, some luck along the way, and some big luck along the way, appears to be. So this is heading into the 2013-14 season. So right after uh, the 12-13 season. Okay. They are looking. They've been doing well. They're getting better. They're looking to add. Let's uh, add. Now we'll add some free agents, you know, here and there. You know, you want to use everything you can. Trades, free agents, the draft. Um, not just free agency, right? Um, they were hot on Dwight Howard. Who wasn't? That's a great question. Everybody wanted Dwight Howard. And Dwight Howard actually included the Warriors in his uh, the final three. I guess it went down to the Lakers, who Dwight Howard was already with. The Lakers, the Rockets, and the Warriors. And they lost out, of course, to another you know, forward-thinking team. That was the Rockets. So that's interesting that two very forward-thinking analytic teams, all this, really were in on Dwight Howard. And uh, that turned out to be kind of a blessing in disguise that they didn't get Dwight Howard. Because their plan B was Andre Iguodala, who at the time was with a very highly achieving Denver Nuggets team. If you remember, that was uh, that was probably the end of their little run under George Carl. They had won 57 games that year and uh, maybe even been dispatched by the Warriors in the playoffs. Um, but Iguodala ended up being their plan B. And in fact, Iguodala had a few teams that were on his final list. And I didn't really remember this, but apparently the Mavs were one of the last three teams. Uh, he had Denver, who he was already That's with. That's right. It the, was about half an hour from being done. Yeah, man. there was some the story, Mavs, some and, weird story here, wasn't there? Yeah, and Golden State. And it says here, he almost put pen to paper with Dallas. So I'm not sure what that exactly means. The Mavs but, thought they had him, is what it means. But Iguodala, it says here, really wanted to go to the Warriors. He loved what they were doing. He loved. Uh, he was looking to post career too to kind of live up there. Um, but you just think of different teams and their fortunes, and uh, what would have happened if? Does that mean Iguodala's here if Dwight Howard goes to Golden State? And then what does that mean for how well the Mavs do and blah, blah, blah. It's it's very interesting. Um, there was another big one that didn't happen. Oh, and I think we talked about it a little bit last week, and we're wondering about the timeline, but I wanted to get back to it. It was uh, right when Kerr was hired. So let's skip past the firing of the coach. But once they did end up getting Kerr, um, that is when... Because Kerr was very against. Kerr and Jerry West, they said, were the loudest voices against the Kevin Love trade. The Kevin Love for um, Clay. For Clay. Uh, Clay Thompson. Um, a lot of people were for it within the organization. You know what I mean? And uh, Kerr and Jerry West were the loudest voices against doing that. Now, a small piece of Dan trivia to insert here. That final year of Mark Jackson is when you, me, Donovan, and Tom went to go see them in Brooklyn. And you and Tom 
lost, oh, inter- lost and interest in mid, mid-third quarter and left. <laughs> and you were telling me I needed to, to uh, watch this that Steph you Curry, need to, dude. You, you need said, to see Curry. Yeah, yeah, you said he's the next thing. And Curry, I think, had 32 that night or something like that. But you were very nonplussed with the entire situation. Well, I probably had a burger waiting for me or something. Uh, <laughs> burger King was closing. There's there's a lot of uh, food-based uh, decisions I've made over the years that perhaps I regret slightly. But they could sense your lack of interest, and that's why they needed to go with Kerr as coach then. Well, the uh, the Mark Jackson situation, there are a lot of reasons for the firing, I guess. And most of them were off the court. He apparently held himself up as a uh, giant man of God and, in fact, uh, used faith and stuff and blah, blah, blah in a lot of his dealings with the media. And even if somebody was in a uh, dispute about something, he would just cite his uh, strong faith and uh, a little force field around Mark Jackson when you're going to you know, go with that as your defense. Well, I'm sorry. I uh, didn't realize you were such a man of God. You know, until the... Um, what was it, the stripper who had his baby or uh, somebody was suing him and he tried to sweep it under the rug and uh, the Warriors actually paid the somebody like five or $10,000 to go away. But, as you've heard is often the case, I don't think we've uh, been involved in this ourselves, but uh, they wanted to come back for more and uh, threatened to tell his wife and all this, and that's when he did come clean and uh, just admit to everything, and then wear a wire, and then get these uh, women arrested that were trying to uh, extort him, uh, extort money from him. That was one thing. Another thing was wow. he, he didn't get along with the owner's son, and the owner's son was very high up in the organization as far as... As uh, owner's sons often are. Yeah, but, uh, you know, he was also a forward-thinking kind of a guy with uh, the uh, statistics and whatnot, and apparently uh, Mark Jackson wanted nothing to do with him. You know, you got to play the game sometime, right? You can't uh, just keep your feet up while you're producing a weekend show. You got to uh, pretend you're into it. Um, and uh, other off the court things like that. But I thought there was a uh, real funny, then they referenced an article that was written by Bruce Jenkins, sfgate.com. So, San Francisco writer. Yep. Sports writer. You may even know who he is because you're Bob. Uh, But Bruce Jenkins uh, says, at best, a lot of words come up in mind of uh, after Mark Jackson's firing, but this one says at best, pathetic. He says it was pathetic that what happened on the basketball floor uh, mattered so little to Warriors management. Pathetic that virtually every wise person on the national NBA scene defends Mark Jackson, but no. Lakeb and Bob Myers knew better. Uh, Lakeb is the uh, the owner, sure, of the team. Uh, he says, "Let us all bow down to Lakeb, all knowing genius of the game." <laughs> oh my! Oh. Let's congratulate him for once again being the face of the franchise, and let's use that word again. Pathetic. He cites a couple of the things uh, that. That got him fired, like Jackson insisting on living primarily in Southern California. Wow. Didn't live in the Bay Area. Uh, didn't get along with the boss's kid, it says here. The uh, sex scandal, where Jackson was the target of an extortion scheme. Uh, also, there was a Jackson response to Jason Collins coming out 
as a gay. Uh, he made it clear that his religion does not accept homosexuality. The uh, Warriors team president, Wick, Rick Welts, by the way, is openly gay. So Indeed they were, he is. They were very, uh, very upset about uh, Jackson's public reaction to all of that. Um, and then he ends his column with this. <clears throat> because they, they, I guess, talked about some of the... Hey, Steph Curry was a big fan. The players liked Mark Jackson. Yeah. Uh, I forgot. There was a couple other uh, things behind the scenes where, like, he was dismissing. Uh, remember, he demoted Brian Scalabrini, one of his coaches, down to the D League, and that's right. One of his other coaches was recording meetings because things, you know, he, he was so uncomfortable with what was going on. But anyway, uh, all the players loved him. They liked the way they were playing, and the fact is, they hadn't made the playoffs in like twenty years. Then they made the playoffs two straight years, and they were the one picked to click for next year, right? Yep. A lot of people were saying, "Hey." Bob was saying, hey, we need to watch this Steph Curry guy. We need to uh, be excited about the future of this franchise. Well, here's how Bruce Jenkins ended his article. Uh, Right after talking about a lot of the good things about Mark Jackson, to reject all that because of a man's personality speaks of a very risky gamble. I don't buy this notion that with a new coach, these same Warriors reach the NBA Finals next year. Dead wrong. Zero chance of that. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. And many now would say this is a major key to what made the Warriors into the historic juggernaut that they are also, now. Not it, just a little bit of a better team, but uh, historically, they might be one of the great teams of all time. <laughs> and they cite Steve Kerr coming well, in as one of the main reasons. And keep in mind, Steve Kerr was a dude on TV. He was not a coach. They no, hired he had, him right from TV. No, but he had a lot of skins as a player. Yep. He was a GM in Phoenix. Yes, he was. And uh, he actually, they, they go into detail in this book about, he put together like a 60-page PowerPoint presentation. It was a 30-point presentation on why he's ready to be a head coach. Uh, but in the week leading up to, he knew he had an interview with them. He added another 30 pages, and he had a whole big present. Like, he blew them away. He not these are analytic guys who are into big presentations. Yeah, they love PowerPoint. And and Steve Kerr Look, they're all on the same page. I've mentioned this several times, but it bears repeating. They were last in the league in passes per game in Mark Jackson's last year, and they were first in the league in passes per game in Kerr's first year. There so, probably hasn't been a transformation from one coach to another, maybe in the history of the league. But imagine... It's almost like coaching matters. But imagine the sack that it took... Oh, yeah. ...to fire him. Yeah, 100%. Bad Radio has author of the book, Sprawl Ball, Kirk Goldsberry on. All right, right now on our phone lines is uh, the great Kirk Goldsberry making his uh, Bad Radio debut. And uh, Kirk, how are you, sir? I am great. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Big fan of your work. And, uh, in fact, we don't always have authors on, so if we do, you should know that we've uh, experienced your book, liked it very much, and are not uh, some radio shills just out here to, to, to sell books we didn't even read. Uh, this this Sprawl Ball is out right now, and it's a phenomenal uh, book for many reasons. And uh, I just, first of all, want to congratulate you on an awesome piece of work. 
Oh, I appreciate that. It's very kind. I mean, Sprawl Ball has uh, broken all sorts of, of our expectations to become, I think, probably one of the better NBA books of the year, if not the last few years, at least in terms of sales. So I appreciate your support and the chance to come on and, and talk a little bit about it with y'all. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, first of all, uh, if you don't know, Kirk uh, was uh, formerly uh, with the San Antonio Spurs front office, but uh, even before that and now after that, he's a fine NBA writer. Uh, in, in, in many places, uh, ESPN, I want to say Grantland at one point, maybe the ringer, I, I, Kirk, you're everywhere. So I, I started following you on Twitter because you're the guy with the charts and, uh, I, I, maybe it was the first time you charted Dirk or, uh, somebody, but, but your, your interest in basically, uh, data, spatial awareness, and the evolution of the NBA probably inspired this book. And for lack of a better term, uh, you know, as, as we're watching it, we definitely know the game is changing. And I think you probably wanted to, in some ways, document that and uh, explain those changes. Uh, would, would that be a fair uh, guess of your inspiration? Yeah. My inspiration starts with the game of basketball, which is my favorite thing in, in the world. Uh, and I love the sport, and I love Dirk. Yeah, you probably saw some of my Dirk charts back in the Grantland era. Um, Dirk was arguably one of the greatest shooting big men we've ever seen, and I had a, a lot of fun uh, studying his game um, and mapping his shots. But, yeah, this game, the Sprawlball Project is essentially an attempt to, as you said, capture this incredible moment in the NBA's history. The league is transforming in front of our very eyes. And when I was working at the Spurs for three years, I didn't see that sort of conversation out in the world. Um, and I saw an opportunity to sort of capture that moment and tell the story about how and why the NBA is transforming uh, in such a drastic way at such a rapid clip. And that's largely based around the three-point line, but – but maybe more the league figuring out the three-point line almost four decades after it was created. Yeah, this is the 40th anniversary of the three-point line in the NBA, um, and the line's been in the same place the whole time. Um, and so now what's happening is you have analytics uh, folks sort of who have, who have helped uh, coaches and executives realize how powerful the shot is uh, in the hands of good shooters. And then you have a population of NBA players that includes almost – entirely um, players capable of hitting that shot at a pretty good rate. Um, so it's those two things, I think, the analytical sort of awareness of how powerful that shot is relative to other jump shooting options on the floor, combined with a population of players that uh, can all hit the shot at acceptable rates. Um, and, and what we've seen is a rapid, rapid outward trend in, in, in how players position themselves on the offensive end of the court. And it's changed everything from how we're drafting to how we're signing free agency, uh, free agents to how we're drawing up plays. Um, and I think that the analytics revolution can sort of, um, the, the, the three point shot is definitely the centerpiece of that. Uh, but it's not the only thing we talk in the book. I think some of the most compelling pieces are like, oh, yeah, if we're doing something else a lot more, in this case three-point shooting, what are we doing a lot less of, and is that necessarily good for the sport? Yeah. I'm sorry. My mic wasn't on. Yeah, you got to uh, your yeah, mic on. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting just to describe why that it's happening now. And it's also, I, I think, interesting to look back. It feels like we've gone through small times where this – 
I guess we didn't have an analytic revolution behind it, or like a Moneyball era, you know, sports Moneyball era, where we're all all looking for the uh, way different thing. But in my mind, I have uh, t- teams have tried stuff like this kind of right in the past, or we were even talking mm-hmm. about Don Nelson yesterday. How this seems to be what Don Nelson envisioned. Uh, I wonder why. Have you wondered why this has never caught on before now? Oh, dude, it's one of the best questions. And uh, not to disappoint you, I don't have a, a terrific answer for that. I mean, there were visionaries, uh, Coach D'Antoni, Coach Don Nelson. Um, yeah, like you said, with small players and, and spreading the floor and shooting and playing fast, um, was way ahead of his time and, and, and deserves to be remembered as, as a true pioneer in the NBA. Uh, but, yeah, I, why did it take so long? Again, the analytics deserve some credit, not for sort of revealing this so much, but accelerating the trend. I think helping front offices around the NBA see that the margins between three-point and two-point jump shooting are so severe um, that one of these is such a great shot and one of them is not so smart of a shot in, in general. I mean, if you have a player like Dirk shooting, it doesn't matter if he's shooting a, a two-point jump shot, but for regular human beings, regular NBA players, uh, it's it's comically large in terms of the margin of efficiency between the three-point and the two-point jump shot. Um, and I think the analyst community has propelled that change. And I would say the Warriors deserve some credit um, for showing us that jump shooting teams can indeed win the NBA championship. Remember, at the beginning of this decade, that was a thing. You can't yeah. win the championship if you're a jump shooting team. The Warriors have sort of shown the rest of us that, yeah, you can not only win the championship, you can become a dynasty by putting the right players behind that arc. You know, that that's probably the best point of all, because had Don Nelson won it all in the 80s or when, whenever, uh, maybe uh, you would say his Golden State teams were more this. But had they won it all, then everybody's rushing to copy, try to do that. You need great success with something like... Uh, you know, wasn't it the Cowboys that started not letting Emmett play all preseason? And then every team is like, well, then my running back won't play all preseason, whether they're Emmett or not. Well, or, even, or if he, the Spurs, he, I've always thought it would take the Spurs to say, we're not going to do any morning shoot-arounds anymore. And then all teams would stop doing morning shoot, you know? Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's, I, we, we copy each other. It's a copycat league. That's a cliche statement for a reason. Um, and, and every sort of dynasty changes the way we look at the sport. And I think... Between the Warriors, the Rockets, the early Spurs of this decade, where ball movement was such a centerpiece, but perimeter shooting was, was a huge part of the Spurs teams that won, uh, or this, this decade's Spurs team. Um, but then, yeah, the, the D'Antoni comes along, and now you have the Houston Rockets, who are the most efficient offense in the NBA, hard winning an MVP, um, by just sort of shooting more threes than twos. The first team in NBA history to ever shoot more threes than twos was last year's Rockets. And, oh, by the way, that same team was the most efficient offense on the planet, and that team won 67 games. So it was it's not just Steph and the Warriors. Uh, there's a couple other data points that are happening, and they're not necessarily championship teams, uh, but they're demonstrating that you can win this way. Um, and so one of the main points of the book is, like, these are still the good old days. We are just starting to push the envelope. The, the Rockets are the first team to shoot over half of their shots from three-point range, but they're by no means the last. And the year-over-year trends, guys, in three-point rate and three-point activity are stark. They are big-time upticks happening. Three of the biggest four upticks in three-point activity in the history of the NBA have happened in the last three years. Uh, when wow. I started writing the book, 
so these it, people ask me a lot, oh, is this going to slow down? Aren't we getting near a plateau? No, the opposite. The increases are increasing, if that makes sense. And, 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 and if you love watching the NBA like I do right now, um, I think it's kind of alarming to think that the, the very product that we love so much is changing so drastically in front of our eyes. Yeah, it is. Uh, this is Kirk Goldsberry. The book is Sprawl Ball. I highly recommend it. So, so you've uh, sent me in a couple different directions there. The first one is I heard a fact yesterday that I've not confirmed, and maybe you could uh, swat it out to half court like Dikembe, <laughs> but the idea that Shaquille O'Neal in nearly 20 seasons had four field goals in his entire career of over f- 15 feet staggered me. I, uh, I I definitely watched Shaquille O'Neal, but I assumed at some point he took a free throw line jumper more than once every five years and made it, uh, despite his inability to actually make free throws. In your book, you talk about Al Jefferson not having a job, Roy Hibbert not having a job, these guys who really only had a game as big men in the paint, and uh, they're kind of being eliminated from the sport you also hint in there, and I've heard you talk to Zach Lowe about this very thing, is you're not here just to document it, and you're not here to fully give it your approval. You do think that the the league should at some point look and ask, is this good that everyone will be playing the same style? Is this good that the three-point will – like, should the NBA be concerned about this new style and almost make rules to incentivize – the old big man and all these types of things. These, I think these are important questions to ask, right? No, I agree. And, and the, the last section of the book talks about this a little bit critically, yes. to your point. And, and I love the big man. I love post-up basketball. But that doesn't mean I want to go back and watch Nick's Heat games from the 90s, which is what a lot of people ask me. Oh, you want to go back? No, I want to go forward. Uh, I want to go forward into a place where all five position groups can thrive uh, in, in an open game. Um, and right now, to your point about the big man, yeah, that there are some pretty stark statistics in the book about how the post game is declining um, at a year over year level that, that sort of mirrors the rise of spot up shooting. Um, and for those of us who grew up watching the game in the 90s, you know, or in the 60s or the 70s, the post up play was the bread and butter of the sport. And it's kind of alarming to me to see it being eliminated. I'm not saying it needs to be nearly as popular as it was in the time of George Mikan or even Shaq, uh, but we should we should probably preserve it in some way. Um, we should probably preserve the ability for all five position groups, the point guard, the shooting guard, the small forward, the power forward, and the center to all be able to become MVPs. Um, and, and the way that the game is heading right now is it's very difficult for power forwards or centers um, to, to, to post up and, and, and play at all. Um, and the ones that are still playing are, are people like Brooke Lopez, who's literally transformed his entire game. The guy who became an all-star as a post-up player is now shooting more threes per game than, than Reggie Miller ever did. Um, and he's a center. Um, and I think these are pretty alarming trends. Uh, and as I, my, main, my main point is they're still unfolding. This is by no means complete. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's time to start thinking about how can we sort of preserve some of that diversity in the sport. Man, I'm happy you brought up Brooke Lopez because Brooke Lopez and Marc Gasol, and I assume you turned me on to this, but their careers, those two guys are almost identical in, in terms of how they played early and how they play now and their shot charts and, and so forth. And, and the idea that neither of those guys shot any threes for the first half dozen seasons of their career and then went away for a summer and somehow turned into several hundred per season guys who are really good at shooting from out there. 
I, I really can't wrap my head around any comps for that <laughs> in all my years of watching basketball. And maybe there's more guys like that, but that is crazy to me to see actually see the evolution on their own career, uh, you know, stat sheets. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point. And, and Brooke is is an incredible figure. And Kevin Love's another guy who's done this and within his career, a guy who lived on the block and, and broke the NBA record for most double-doubles uh, in, in, in consecutive games in NBA history as an incredible young power forward. And I, I talk in the book about how this dude became an incredible uh, stretch four. Um, another way to look at it is like if we renamed the positions now, there's no way Brooke Lopez would be a quote unquote center. That position, uh, that name relates to the fact that they spend their time in the middle of the court. If you watch Brooke Lopez playing offense right now, he's 27 feet from the basket almost at all times. Yeah, uh, he's not central in any way, uh, and it's remarkable. And he he's a fascinating case for another reason because not only was he an all star in Brooklyn as a post player. He has a twin brother who has not tried to transform his game uh, and who's going to make a lot less money because of it. Uh, Brooke has done a remarkable job sort of waking up, uh, and Marcus all too, but Brooke, to, to be sure, has, has revolutionized his own game uh, and, and earned himself another big pile of money because he learned to shoot the holy catch-and-shoot three, which is the most important skill of any NBA player right now. This is Kirk Goldsberry, author of Sprawl Ball, uh, with us here on the ticket. So they created the three-point line because they had uh, determined this is bad for the game. Air, air quotes, right? Bad for the game. This, uh, we're, everything is down low here. Let's spread the uh, floor out. <laughs> so now, I suppose, if we were to deem the current NBA or the direction we're going as bad, uh, first of all, we'd have to determine that. Uh, and I don't know if you do or not, but then would you say uh, there would be rule changes in order to help, like you said, not totally lose the identity of, uh, you know, post player or whatever? Is is there anything in your mind yeah, that we yeah. could do? Well, a lot of people don't realize the three-point line was first drawn in 1961 um, as part of a failed basketball league called the American Basketball League that preceded the ABA, but the ABL – uh, was founded by this guy named uh, Abe Saperstein, who's more famous the, for founding the Globetrotters, the Globetrotters, right? Okay, yes. sorry. And he's a marvelous character in the history of basketball. Um, but he gave us a three-point shot in part because in 1961, what was the biggest story in sports? Uh, Roger Maris in the home run. Uh, and Saperstein has some really powerful quotes to go back to and say, we need a home run in our sport. We need We need this thing called a home run shot. And so the three-point line that he drew was the attempt to do that. And here's where it gets crazy. That line that he drew in 1961 is the exact same line we're using in the NBA in 2019. What are the chances that the three-point line that Abe Saperstein drew in 1961 for that batch of players uh, is the right same size, shape, and dimension for the current group of players that can all shoot from out there with relative ease. Uh, in a nutshell, I think it's time to move that line back a foot or two um, to try to make that shot harder for a chunk of the population that, that can barely make it at acceptable rates there. And I think that'll open up the, uh, the two-point area um, but without killing the three. I think we want a league where three-point shots you know, make up about a third to 35 percent of of our of our shots, and I, that's pretty close to where it is right now. But again, I go back to that one point: well, things Kurt, are changing oh. so fast uh, that we need to start addressing them. 
I uh, apologize for cutting you off there, but uh, it's fine. I was going on too long. No, you're awesome, and we could talk with you forever. But unfortunately, our uh, format does not allow for a forever t- uh, type talk. So let's just tell people to check out the book. Uh, I've learned so much. We didn't even mention Steph Curry barely in this entire conversation, and, uh, and that's a huge part of the book, and rightfully so. Thank you for your work, and thank you for your time today, Kirk. It's been, really been a pleasure for us. Thank you guys for supporting Sprawlball. Hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, it's great, man. See you. That's uh, Kirk Goldsberry. The book is Sprawlball. Now a Bad Radio Reports. It's time once again for Bad Radio Reports. Spanning the globe to bring you everything you need to know to survive in our complex and ever-changing world. Ignore it, and you could die. And now, your Bad Radio Reports correspondents, Bob Sturm, Dan McDowell, and... It's a ticket for rip. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's 2.15 here on the ticket. Oh, supposed to wait for the applause to say thank you. Almost made no sense. Tonight, game four in the NBA Eastern Conference Finals, the uh, Bucks visit the Raptors. And that causes me to ask you, Dan, do you remember Jimmy Goldstein? Oh, yeah. Do you remember him being in our studio? Yeah, he's the uh, crazy fan with the pants, and the, he's an old guy, right? I think he bought Will Chamberlain's house. Skinny guy. NBA super fan. Like I, he uh, would I, fly across the nation, right, just to go to different games. He's he would go rich guy. He's like Bob if he was ultra, ultra rich. Yeah, he would go to like playoff games for two straight months. Man, like, I don't know hey, what I I've just seen go, this year. I want to go see a game in Golden State. Not so sure. I'll call them and uh, plop down a couple thousand for a courtside seat. Right? So during the 2011 playoff run, we had him in studio, I believe, uh, because some of his destinations were Mavericks games. Wasn't that fun back then? Remember that spring? He could go wherever he wants to. Like he gets into the press conference. He gets yeah. into media areas. The, the league just grants him full access to run of the place. As I recall, we had a very enjoyable interview with him, including uh, the team picture where uh, Dan pointed into the corner and we all looked away from the camera with Jimmy Goldstein. Uh, anyway, there has uh, been another super fan that has caught my eye in these playoffs in the Sixers-Raptors series and now the Bucks raptors series. I keep spotting the guy on the baseline who is cheering very, very, very boisterously but also happens to wear a turban. Even saying the term turban feels a little odd on these radio airwaves from time to time. It shouldn't, dude. It shouldn't. Why does it? But uh, the man who wears the turban to Raptors games is named Nav Batia. Now, if you see him every game in Toronto, you're like, huh, this guy must really appreciate the Raptors. That doesn't necessarily make him that unique. But then you start noticing him at all of their away games as well, and you see that at least in the playoffs, Nav Batia is at every single game with his turban. Well, actually, he wears a turban everywhere he goes in life, I assume. Um, but uh, there he is, and that makes him somewhat distinctive here in North America at sporting events, at least in that proximity. And if you watch soccer games in England, you'll see guys with turbans on. But uh, periodically, um, you know, that happens over there. It doesn't happen much over here. I don't know if that's a U.S.-Canada thing, but I'm not sure I can recall a U.S. sporting event where there is a 
a uh, man who I believe uh, this is from the Sikh religion. Yes? See. And uh, the important factor here is, of I mean, course. I mean, I'm guessing that's a common no, he's, turban wearer. No, he's yeah. absolutely a Sikh. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I was saying Does it. Does he wear the turban during the national anthem when they say, please remove your hats? I assume it doesn't count as a hat. That's my assumption, Dan. Although I definitely am uh, not quite sure if I'm right on that. Well, anyway, let's not get totally lost in the weeds with the turban. Let's uh, hear just a little bit about his bit, which apparently it goes back to the very first time the Raptors played basketball in Toronto. Um, First of all, he moved from India when Sikhs were being massacred. Uh, There was a bad time in the 80s, but uh, you know... You know, across across the world, we sometimes have uh, genocide and and uh, massive persecution, especially religious based, and and so many people uh, uh, f- uh, fled from India, and uh, many found home in Canada. He did, and at the time was not a man of wealth. He then could not get a job, you know, because of the turban beard thing, and uh, eventually landed as a car salesman, and apparently had a gift for selling cars so much so that he went from salesman to general manager to having a chance to buy his own dealership to now where he has a couple dealerships in Canada and is very, very, very wealthy. So he, it's a unbelievable immigration uh, story of, of uh, making uh, you know a name for yourself and uh, working your way up to riches. And now he uh, has a distinction as being the number one Toronto Raptors fan. Yes, even more prominent than Drake is Nav Batia. Uh, Batia, and he was on a, he was on Danny Green's podcast. And I I found out a few fun facts about Nav. I wanted to play for you. So here's uh, here's cut number one. Nav's greatest career stat is I don't even. I don't even know if you know the number of games that you've been to, but you haven't missed one. Well, for 23 years Mm -hmm. and seven home games this season, I have never been late for a game. Never been late. I have never left a game early. (laughs) And never left a game. Never missed a game. I mean, come on, like no, no, I, and I never missed a game. And this is my sort of—I can brag about it. But if you ask me to brag about my married life, I ain't bragging about that because it's hanging by by a little my thin string, you know. I'm not even. I'm not even. Uh, that's, that's most people. I think, yeah, right. yeah. So he's he has never been late or missed a Toronto Raptors game. Since and then never left a, a 20-point blowout early. Never left early, the and they've been playing in Toronto since 1995. Here's a little, here's a little more from that. And I tell you one thing. I miss a lot of events in my family life, mm. like my wife's birthday, like my wife's wedding anniversary, <laughs> like some other events, you know. Well, you gave it the air quotes for the wedding anniversary. Yeah, yeah, because, <laughs> because at the end of the day, it's my wedding anniversary too on that day. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's a joint thing. Yeah, you so, know. But, you know, I mean, but everything is, everything, and everybody knows now that Nav is not going to come because there is a game on that day in, uh, in Toronto, so he's not going to come. So people have accepted that and I respect them mm-hmm. and I wish them all the best in their events or whatever they're doing <laughs> but for me 
the Raptors is my priority. Yeah. Okay, so he says... Uh, Damn, I wish the guy had a kid during that time, just to see, you know? Yeah. Well, he's never missed, never missed a Raptor game. He has a story about being uh, in traffic one time and was going to miss tip-off, so he uh, decided to drive on the shoulder... Uh, around the traffic jam on the Toronto Expressway, whatever that's called. Uh, there's a name for it. I can't think of what it is. But anyway, Dan Ryan. he decides to just go rogue to try to get to the Raptors game. And, of course, uh, the uh, the police got him. And so they stopped him, and he rolled down his window, and there he is in his turban and beard. And uh, they recognized him as Raptors superfan and uh, helped him get to the arena. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. So you're not going to believe this, but he's actually had a TED Talk. So this guy, this part of his deal is completely based on the fact that people can't get past that he walks through life with a turban on, and it's such a deal breaker for people in North America because they're pretty sure that he must be a terrorist, and so it's tough for him to get hired. And by the way, Sikhs are not Muslim, so uh, you're you're you know just. Because we learned everything we know about other cultures through, like, Bugs Bunny in North America, we generally just kind of say them, and we don't really know, you know, what this particular thing means about this particular type of person. So we just kind of say, well, they're Asian. And so that means what to you? And uh, well, no, no, actually, there's several. You know, there's there's dozens and dozens of types. So so he did his TED talk, and basically his life has now been to uh, normalize South South Asians in North America. Like you don't have to be freaked out about this. And no, I'm not driving your cab. Uh, so, so I think there are more of them living outside of their country than any other population in the world. Is that right? I mean, it's a massive, and, massive, massive country. And if you go to Canada, yeah, for sure, it's it's definitely everywhere. Anyway, here's the start of his TED talk. I thought you might like this. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. As I stand before you today, what do you see? Someone who would make you uncomfortable on your flight? Crowd loving it. Your convenience store worker. Your gas station attendant. You see my turban and my beard. And so I have to admit, Dan, that's probably what got my attention at an NBA game over these last couple months. And last year, I think, did they play the Cavs last year? What year were they playing LeBron in the playoffs? And, uh, I forget what it was, but I kept noticing. I'm like, man, that dude's at every game. And he really is at every game. Anyway, he's telling a story in the TED Talk, and he doesn't uh, he doesn't necessarily hide from uh, some of the things that people say. About I have him. to be better than good if I want to survive in that environment. With God's grace and my hard work, I sold 127 cars in three months. That was a record then, and I believe it's record now. So, you, car dealership record, moving up. Soon, this towel head, turban head, was promoted to management. And he goes, he goes on and uh, uses, of course, the terms that uh, make make you quite uncomfortable with uh, describing that uh, type of person. 
as a NBA super fan. Uh, he is Nav Batia. Now, a couple other things. Uh, he now, I think, the Raptors now send him places to kind of do interviews like Guillermo. <laughs> he was at the uh, rookie game and at the All-Star weekend. I couldn't find him talking to Luca, but he's definitely on the Internet now as like a Raptors personality. He has like 10 lower bowl tickets, and he uh, tries to give as many seek children Raptors tickets as he possibly can. Maybe not quite courtside with him, but uh, now trying to uh, to uh, you know get basketball into the hearts and souls of the South Asian community in Toronto. And uh, he was also named this, Dan, check it out, the South Asian ambassador for the NBA. So he has an actual title in the NBA. I don't know what that means exactly. Like who is his competition? I don't I, Sotnam. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, Toronto is a very multicultural city and uh you won't see this at every NBA city, but if you are watching tonight and you see Nav Batia, I wonder Ra- how Raptors many super fans. How many super fans are out there like Goldstein or this guy Miss Price, Don Nobler? Who just dress normally or maybe differently and or just, you know, blend in. Like these people stand out. He yeah, he and he stands see, out because you see him at every game. I think he's a really good dude with a really good heart and, and all that. I also think he probably He's embracing his bit. He's embracing his celebrity. He he is wearing a a T shirt of himself here. Uh <laughs> as it it looks like he's flying through the air with his turban on as a bit of a superhero. That's awesome. Uh, for the Raptors. But, yeah, it, it's a pretty cool story. So it went from a curiosity, and now I'm reading about the guy, and I'm like, huh, this seems like a... Uh, so watch for him tonight. Oh, you'll see him. Courtside? Right under the basket. Oh, under the basket. And he's up all the time, and he's chirping at Giannis, and uh, and he's working the refs, and he's... Uh, so certainly all the players are aware of him. Oh, yeah, when Kobe played his final game in Toronto, at the end of the game, Kobe went over and gave him a big hug, and, yeah, all the NBA people know, know Nav. So there you go. Bad Radio Share some not listening audio. The ticket does produce defiant producers. It builds up, dude. <laughs> it just builds up, dude. It's 5 till 2. The Bob and Dan radio program. Today we're featuring Julie. What? And Jake. <laughs> and uh, Mino, who remembers being in driver's ed. And listen yeah. to Bob. Ten and two. Uh, all right. The new thing that we are falling in love with, and it's kind of replaced aggressiveness in my... There's room for both. People are telling me they just heard this audio. You got to find it. It's uh, not listening. That apparently this happens so often... Maybe we need to go back through uh, archives of uh, many years ago just to see how often this happens because we're finding it more and more these days. More and more. Here's an old one I found that uh, just made me giggle that I don't know if you recall from uh, the NFL. By the way, it was the first catch for Martellus Bennett, who's with his fifth team over the last seven years. Dallas Giants, Chicago, New England won a ring last year. Wanted to go back to the Patriots. Now he's in Green Bay. That's his fifth team in the last six years. So he's had a hard time finding a place to stick around. I like it. Well, like what five teams do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So we have a few more to get to. Uh, somebody sent me this earlier this month. They said, hey, were you listening to the Rangers? And I said, ha, I was not listening. Ha, 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 get it? Uh, they said, hey, guess what? CJ also wasn't listening. Um, I don't think Dave Raymond calls Dave him out like we would. Raymond. but uh, Opening game of this three-game set. Right back see if this one's any good. Tomorrow. Blue Jays haven't named a starter for tomorrow. They have a... I guess you could call it a, a plan, a, a tentative starter, perhaps. It depends on how the game goes here today. But Pannone, the, the lefty, was a guy they were certainly very seriously considering. There's a strike, and it's one and two. They talk about tomorrow's starter, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, they, have they announced it yet? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. They were waiting <laughs> to see this, how this one went, right? Correct. So I think they feel pretty good about that, unless... Exactly. <laughs> 18 innings. Exactly. I wonder if... Exactly. It's um, <laughs> exactly what I said exactly. for like 30 I mean, seconds. One, two. Do you think... <laughs> we always like that. Do you think the rise of Twitter and the rise of not listening, are they are on parallel paths? And is there a reason? Is one leading to the other? Like... Certainly, CJ is looking through comments or something else while uh, while Dave okay, is talking. Okay, I thought you were talking just about as the re- uh, you and I have done to each other. The uh, reporting of not listening—that's what I think the real issue here is. You didn't have an avenue. It didn't feel like it ranked for an email, but, but now you just didn't have can, other stuff. We are multitasking. There's no doubt. And like Harry Carey never had anything else to look at but the game. No, my wife would uh, not be a good sports broadcaster in this regard because when she's either sending or receiving a text, I think the rest of the world goes completely silent to her. Well, I don't want to criticize my wife for not listening to me because... It's two-way street. <laughs> I, uh, I haven't heard a word she said in years. <laughs> Let's go to the Morning Musers, our second Musers audio piece of the day. Someone reported this last Thursday. They said, hey, there was a good not listening on the Musers. Hey, uh, here's another one that I had, I had not heard of. Okay, they're talking about a recent article out, very good article uh, in Sports Illustrated, about Nelly's imprint, uh, Don Nelson's imprint on this year's NBA playoffs. Right. Okay, different things that he was doing way back in the day. And you and I were just talking about this, and you hadn't heard of it either. The bank pass was one of Nelly's <laughs> ideas that never materialized in a game, but they practiced it. I think in Milwaukee this was, where instead of just skipping it across from the right wing to the left wing, you would bank a pass over to your teammate. Crazy. <laughs> so crazy it didn't work. Nelly became frustrated because guys would miss the backboard, they'd right. hit the rim, and it, it wouldn't, the angles were all wrong. Interesting idea, though. That I think you could, and sometimes I guess you can see it for the trailer, you know, you leave it off the backboard for them, but I'd never heard of the bank pass no. before. <laughs> heard of the accidental bank pass. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Or maybe the guy, you know, let's say it's a fast break and the first guy down leaves it off the backboard for the trailer. Right. Who's yeah. going to yeah. dunk it? That's a technically a bank pass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Nelly was talking about. So, yeah, that's within 10 seconds. And sometimes I guess you can see it for the trailer. You know, you leave it off the backboard for them. But 
I'd never heard of the okay. bank pass no. before. There. <laughs> heard of the accidental bank pass. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Or maybe the guy, you know, let's say it's a fast break and the first guy down leaves it off the backboard for the trailer. Right. Who's yeah. going to yeah. dunk it. That's a technically a bank pass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's no time. Junior is not looking through tweets or emails, right? He's actually sitting right there engaged in the conversation. That's awesome. I like prefacing it, prefacing it with, or maybe. Like <laughs> well, maybe it is something different. Than you. a whole different look at this approach. Uh, we played this the other day, but we'll replay it because he's uh, doing this all playoffs long. Reggie Miller. Not listening to Marv Albert. Oddly enough, they're talking about Don Nelson, too. I mentioned earlier celebrating his 32nd birthday today, which brings me to a happy 79th to Don Nelson, the one-time Milwaukee Buck head coach who is somewhere in Hawaii, let's say, uh, very relaxed. <laughs> and former coach of this Bucks team as well. <laughs> That's what he used to wear the fish ties and the gym shoes. Yeah, we had problems with him. Yeah, uh, like I just said, literally just said. But then that's and he kind of went into that one too, Jake. The and former bus yeah. coach as well. <laughs> well, no, no, no. That's what I just brought up. <laughs> Is the fact that he was a uh, former Bucks coach? Uh, I haven't heard this one yet, but Jake says uh, you're going to like it a lot, Jenks. He said this is again Reggie Miller. Now this is uh, game two, different uh, to- two totally different games. Let me tell you this too. There's a graphic on the screen, you know. So they're they're talking about guys who have achieved fifty, forty, ninety from uh, you know from the field, from the right, right. From, uh, the line, and from three. So the graphic is up there with all the names. Earlier we were talking about that exclusive fifty, forty, ninety club. Malcolm Brogdon is a member. You see the group: Larry Bird. Told by the name of Reggie Miller, Mark Price, Steve Nash did it, what, four times? Dirk Nowitzki, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry did it a couple of times. I believe Curry's done it a couple of times as well. Yeah, yeah I just yeah. said that. Well, no, you said that no, Steve Nash did it. And I said times. Steph Curry twice. <laughs> so you show me the handshake. <laughs> I, tried to, I was trying to show you oh, the handshake. Okay, well, the other guys later. are going to kill me. Okay, no, I I tell you, Reggie got so wrapped up in what was taking place. That <laughs> he's not even listening. <laughs> Reggie goes to uh, monthly meetings. <laughs> oh, wow. oh, nice move by okay. I think that might be an alcoholism joke. Oh, <laughs> so what did he say? Let me. Reggie goes to Reggie goes to uh, monthly meetings. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. You do lose memory. Oh, that's hilarious. But the plus, I go to monthly meetings. Yeah, Before I play that one again. It's word for word. Yeah. All right. Let's see here. Earlier, we were talking about that exclusive 50, 40, 90 club. Malcolm Brogdon is a member. You see the group: Larry Bird, told by the name of Reggie Miller, Mark Price, Steve Nash did it what four times? Dirk Nowitzki. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry did it a couple of times. I believe Curry's done it a couple of times as well. Yeah, yeah I just yeah. said that. <laughs> well, no, you said that no, Steve Nash did it. And I said times. Steph Curry twice. <laughs> so you show me the handshake. Then, then, he's, then he's defiant. <laughs> he doubles down. He's it's defiant. So like, no, 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 no. No, here's what you said, Marv. All right. Said that. Now, this makes us, uh, <laughs> apparently, uh, there are some who are saying this rivals uh, one of the best ever, 
Uh, what is this situation? Aaron Taylor not listening. This is uh, the one that I think that started it all. This was with John Saunders, I think. Okay. In fact, hold on. This I believe this is the exact same halftime show as Kirk. 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 Stay safe. Remember they were talking to a soldier in Kirk. Yes. Yeah. Here with Craig and Aaron coming up on the Valley Halftime Show. We're going to take a look at other scores and highlights, including a bad day for the Big Ten. They're trying to avoid that here. Michigan losing, Iowa losing. Yeah, they are. And we're going to see if it's going to be another bad day for the Big Ten since Iowa and Michigan lost. <laughs> yes. Change the order, at least. <laughs> wasn't word for And word. not only are we going to look at the bad day with Michigan losing and Iowa losing, but we're also going to check out that bad day in the Big Ten because of Iowa and Michigan losing. <laughs> Perfect. And stuck the landing. Not even listening, Dan. That's wonderful. Yeah, and he stuck the landing. Yes, as I just said. <laughs> Boy, is that the best one? Brad? Uh, oh, wow. It, that's not a not listening, though. That's just possibly the, the best piece of audio. Yes, as I just said. Well, yeah, I guess it is a not listening. I think I it know. was. I think it was. It was also. So that wasn't the. Er, er, uh, no. No, no. This that is, wasn't Stan Palesco's punt. This is. Flag, I mean, uh, the. This is flag on the field. There's oh. a flag on the yeah, field. Go ahead. All right, go ahead. Taylor smacks it. End over end, and Nick Miller will run it out from the two for the free agent from Southern Utah. Flag is down as he gets to the 30. It's a flag on the play. Yes, as I just said, the flag is down against the <laughs> Oakland Raiders. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Man. Yep. <laughs> Where I get my Mickey, yep. It's your Mizzou. Yeah. Yeah. Ever, yeah. Yeah. You ever dressed down Christy like that? <laughs> Boy, how about that? I don't that? think he'd do that to Christy. How about yes, as I just said. Yep. How about Missouri on Missouri crime right there? Ooh. All right, yep. it's 208. It's Sports Radio 1310, the ticket. Those are the only what? two people I know that yep. went to Missouri. Bad radio reviews, point break. Last night, for Wait. the umpteenth time in my life, we watched Point Break. Haven't watched it since uh, 2012, I believe. We actually talked about it on the show back then. Speak for yourself. Oh. When that thing's on, it's on. That's definitely I mean, sit in the... Uh, stem to stern, you know, the whole thing. There you go. July of down. 1991 is when this came out. And our goal last night was to have a great night with the P1 at the Alamo Draft House. That went very well. Full house, big theater, great crowd. They were into it. Everybody was into it. So that was goal number one is just kind of have a communal experience with a movie that's 28 years old for no other reason than we want to. We've been doing movie of the month for a long time, but there's just a different vibe at the Alamo Draft House. Just to get a bunch of people there and you're all It's don't you agree? It's just when you sit at your house watching something on your computer. I agree. Or if you're in the midst of a uh, you know, like Bad Santa was fun. I I remember you killed it. Watching it by yourself, but being at the theater, it was awesome, and maybe because it was not good, I don't know. It's and- like whenever you guys go to the compound, and I do this anytime I go out of town with a group of dudes, we put a movie on and just do mystery science theater to yeah. the whole thing. Then it's, even if it's bad, it's funny, 
And people laughing at the wrong parts of every one of these movies we do is the best part. Yeah, yeah. and w- parts that they intended, you know, whoever wrote it and then directed and produced it, they intended this to be a very serious, <laughs> tense thing, and we're laughing. Like, this is ridiculous. Unintentionally funny. Catherine yeah. Bigelow is a very serious director. Yes, she is. And she's done Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty. So, right. yeah, she wasn't looking for laughs with Keanu's lines. She wasn't? Because that was one of my questions. Like, are they trying to be funny with this script or is this just the way that movies were back then they thought they were making the most bad to the bone movie ever made they thought this was uh resetting the bar and i will tell you as their target audience as a 19 year old as a 19 year old i wanted it all I wanted I wanted to learn how to surf. I wanted to live in California. I wanted to maybe become a Fed, but also maybe a bank robber. I'm not sure which. Maybe, a, skydive. maybe a Heisman. I want to do it all. Probably win a Heisman. Yeah, yeah. Just throw that in there. Like this movie is so geared to the young male in just all of the food groups. Like you're either. <laughs> I mean, what are you not doing? It's it's football. It's surfing. It's, uh, it's we, jumping out of airplanes. Everything. It's girls. It's, it, yeah. It's, you want to have a plot discussion? I really want to hear. Or do you want to get some visceral reaction? I, I want quick. visceral reaction from uh, the rookies before we get too far into the weeds here. All right, Julie. Yeah. Review the movie in thirty seconds. In thirty seconds, um. I did take notes of the movie. We can okay. In fact, in, uh, we two can revisit. minutes, or or maybe the thirty seconds is just the exact conversation you had when you got home and talked to your husband. So it is a hundred percent what I expected after hearing you guys talk about it so much. It was completely one hundred percent boy movie in every way possible, in nineties boy movie in every way possible, and. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. It was entertaining. Yes. But I did I did come out of it thinking, like I just said, like is and I was asking Craytray, which he even put on Twitter, but he was sitting next to me. I looked at him like four different times and I said, <laughs> Is this a real movie? Like <laughs> is this really happening? Like it was it was just baffling to me. Okay, so Julie's hitting on me? Julie <laughs> Julie's line on the movie. Oh, How should I make my next move? Julie on the movie poster, it's going to say, I didn't hate it. So we're yeah. going gonna to take that. We're I didn't gonna... hate it, comma, is this a real movie? Yes. <laughs> Pretty what, much. What a great slogan. Well, there's another Point Break virgin in this yes. room. And I freaking loved this movie. There you go. <laughs> oh, That's what I want to hear from you. Yeah? And yeah, it's... It's crazy watching this after I've seen Fast and the Furious, because I know you guys compared it. It seemed like Fast and the Furious was a remake. Fast and the Furious was pretty much a straight rip of this movie. Thank you. Except <laughs> this actually had somewhat of a plot to it with, with the bank robbers and everything. And I noticed, I don't know if this was on accident or if this was in, in Fast and the Furious, if it was kind of a, a nod to it. But when he said, you can have any beer you want as long as it's a Corona. If you noticed when Keanu and, and Busey were drinking beers yes. in the, in the uh, office when, when he was telling the, them his uh, theory. The, yeah, the surfboard yes, wax scene. They were drinking Coronas. They absolutely and were. And I don't know if that was on purpose, but I, I thought that was pretty cool. I assume Corona wrote a big check to the Fast and the Furious, but if it really was a tribute, that's awesome too. 
Is that the scene where they had their dress shirts like all rolled up? Like they hated each other one second and then they became yeah. best friends and they rolled up their sleeves and they were surfing on. They desks. were drinking beers and they were like kind of sweaty, just <laughs> like breaking down that video. He didn't want to tell him the his crazy theory, but then once he did, maybe that's the what we accomplished last night is just an entire generation of P ones now realize that Fast and the Furious is a complete theft job from Point Break. We're going to learn that very soon at the Alamo Drafthouse Theater this summer. Oh, good. We'll talk about that at at the time of your choosing. But the plot, we do need to discuss the plot because so it's like Keanu's first day ever as a Fed, right? He's just starting. John C. McGinley is brilliant, right? So we've had two people from the movie on our show? McGinley and uh, Lori Petty? Petty. Yeah. Yeah. Was that Tyler? I don't yeah. totally remember having Lori Petty that? on, but we did. She was uh, yours. She I know. Was I know. I know. I think I need to go back and listen to that. Yeah. Did you talk all about this movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Yeah, because. <laughs> Who knows if she's done were, anything else? They were going to do a remake, <laughs> and she heard about it and was like, it's nothing close to the true art we produced. Right, right, right. Like, no, right. was she kidding? She, when she, she was said like, that? I don't want to be a part of it. This is a masterpiece. And, and I'll, I don't acknowledge there yeah, was a remake. Right. If somebody says one or two, like, like what? is she in on the bit or does she think what? that this is <laughs> it's just, she it's thinks a bit? It's all a bit. Art. She thinks it was a great movie. You know why? Because it was a great movie, Julie. It really was. You're all, right. all in on the bit. Back, but, to, back to the plot. But I guess so they. <laughs> just the crazy plot. So now there's this uh, bank robbers who are great. They're the ex-presidents. They wear president's masks. And I've got to tell you, just the trailer sucked me in as a teenager, right? Oh, yeah. As a kid, you're oh, like, yeah. whoa, this is the greatest thing. i got to go see this movie. Uh, and so they, they're sorry, two, two months into the summer, and Busey noticed that they have a pattern over the three years that they've been uh, robbing tons of banks and always getting away with it. They're great at it. They, they're in and out within 90 seconds. Uh, they're, they're like ghosts, they say. Um, there's one month left in the summer. Okay, one month left in the summer. Why is that important? So we're going to assume it's like August 1st. They're going to leave September 1st. Well, that's important because they're like, okay, well, let's try to go undercover. Here's what we'll do. You learn to surf. You've never surfed in your life. In the one month, you need to learn to surf and then Identify imbe- what <laughs> surfers on the coast, this whole giant coast, are the ones committing these crimes. We just need a hair sample. Infiltrate to their group and then catch them somehow. Like I, the fact, so the first day he goes out to learn to surf, he uh, is coughing and he's almost dying. He's not doing well. A girl kind of saves him, brings him to shore. She just so happens to be the leader of the ex president, ex president's uh, ex girlfriend. And introduces him to Bodie, and uh, I mean, the amazing coincidence there. Like, everything had to fall into place. Then well, he's also, being a former Heisman Trophy winner, was able to learn to surf competent, competently enough that he's in with this group of, clearly these guys have been surfing their entire life, but he's now kind of surfing along with them. Uh, Bodie, he kind of falls in love with. It's a love story, right? Sure. He ends up falling in love with Bodie and uh, his his Bodie isms and the, the wisdom and the way he sees the world. 
you know, so much so that uh, he knows it's Bodie that he's chasing there when he's wearing a mask, and he looks into his eyes, and and he can't shoot him, and uh, Gary Busey is very upset with him for uh, not killing Bodie. Um, you never miss. You never miss. I did. I missed this time. Uh, you know, th- he even ends up letting him go at the end. And Bodie, the same thing. Bodie wouldn't let his friend shoot uh, Agent Utah as he ran at them as they realized he's now an agent when they were catching them rob a bank. Uh, a bromance, if you will. And then when they did a uh, knockdown drag out fight, I can't remember which fight it was because there was, there was this theme throughout the movie of Utah chases down Bodie. The first time on the beach, Utah chased down Bodie, tackled him playing uh, football when they learned that. Again, here's another plot thing. Johnny Utah is a guy famous enough to be uh, nationally recognized. He won a Heisman Trophy. He played in the Rose Bowl. With Ohio State. They took down SC. And then he went undercover as an FBI agent. I think they lost, by the way. Did they? better watch it again tonight like that it seems like you would want to be kind of anonymous to ever be able to be a yeah, successful very undercover few, agent. very few celebrities make good undercover agents it's just a weird thing but but, but I, I thought the uh one after one of the uh fights it was the one okay here's the fight and julie tell me if this is a weird plot thing jumping out of a plane without a parachute which uh agent utah did to uh, dive after bodie who had jumped with a parachute uh, he chases him down for a third time. He chased him down the other time after the robbing the bank. Uh, then they had a big dra- knockdown drag out fight on the beach. But then at the end, they were kind of laying there huffing and puffing. And I equated that to they just had sex. That's their I just had sex. Why do you equate that? Because it seemed like they did, and they were in love <laughs> with each other. Well, like I never thought about any of this bromance, the two of them being in love with each other thing. Pull the shoe. You pull the shoe. <laughs> They were in love. All right, let's pick it up here next. Let's keep going. We have we have more to explore, Julie. Uh, Two twenty or it's eighty seven. I don't know. Sixty one degrees in Malibu, (laughs) the home of Neptune's Net, where Lori Petty first served Keanu Reeves. What a glorious! But uh, luckily, Julie, he couldn't find an inn until he said, "Oh, wait, two dead parents. I can use that." That's the hardest I laugh in the whole ruthless. movie. That, yeah. <laughs> when, Knowing it's coming. When it's, she comes into his bedroom it. and fires the gun at the pillow next to him. I did not him. see that coming. I will say that. And then says. There's no paperwork to fill out for that, right? Just be honest with me. <laughs> did your parents really die in a car crash? They live in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> Straight to the gun threat. I'll admit I lied in the beginning, but then it became more. Uh. We're uh, reviewing the movie Point Break. By the way, uh, A plus. Oh yeah, the, is that high enough? Is where I will end. Yeah, whatever the highest thing you can do. A fantastic movie, featuring Keanu Reeves, and uh, featuring Patrick Swayze. Really, Bodie is a guy we can all pattern our life around. Um, do we need to keep recapping the plot, or do you want to hear some fun audio? Where do you want to go here? Because uh, play some audio. Just hearing Bodie talk is pretty awesome. Um, It's also just little drops are fun, too. Just like when Keanu first meets his uh, girlfriend-to-be on the beach 
and uh, she kind of saves him, but then she goes and paddles out because uh, she's got to do some surfing. He uh, realizes he didn't introduce himself to her. Hey! My name's Johnny Utah! Who cares? Oh. <laughs> she didn't even care. She's a tough one to crack. But of course, once they did, uh, you know, she starts partying with uh, with Keanu. And Bodie, and now they're on the beach, and they're uh, playing foot beach football, as you will do on the beach at night. Well, he seemed to be pretty good, and he chased down Bodie, and he tackled him, and some of the other guys wanted to beat Bodie's ass for, uh, or excuse me, beat up uh, Special Agent Utah. Bodie would have none of it because Bodie put two and two together right then. Yeah. You know who this is? No, I don't know who this is. It's Johnny Utah. Ohio State Buckeyes All-Conference, remember? Number nine, man. How you doing? Nice to meet you. Man, I knew I knew you. It was the Rose Bowl. Three years ago, you beat SC, right? You? You did this. That was one hell of a game. Yeah, but uh, you got nuked in the last quarter or something. Yeah, I got my knee folded back about 90 degrees the wrong way. Whoa. That's why you never went pro? Two years of surgery. Missed my window. Went through law school instead. Law school? You're a lawyer? Wow. Well, life's not over yet, man. You're surfing. Lawyers don't surf. This one does. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this one does. I mean, so, learning learning about life through Bodie. So this team of surfers, this tribe, if you will, that travel the world following the waves, they're only in Southern California for four months, but then it's off to Australia, maybe Fiji, uh, Guam. Who knows where we're headed next? Wherever the waves take us. So they're up to speed with Big Ten all-conference teams, huh? Just dialed in. <laughs> you were second team or you first You assumed team? he wasn't there in January, but he was. Did you guys notice that he has, Johnny Utah has a football helmet alarm clock next to his bed? <laughs> I did yeah. not notice a that. A Buckeye football helmet that. alarm clock. That was awesome. Uh, see, that's the kind of depth that you don't get in uh, just general movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, and depth is what Bodie is all about. And uh, he also is teaching Johnny that, that surfing is not just about athleticism, right? So uh, you still haven't figured out what riding waves is all about, have you? It's a state of mind. It's that place where you lose yourself and you find yourself. You don't know it yet, but you got it. It's right there. I saw you with those guys. You're a pit bull. You didn't hesitate, and they didn't back you down an inch. And that is very rare in this world. That's right, man. Totally agree. True. I do. I think Does everything Bodie says is true. You know, Patrick Swayze. Fun <laughs> fact. Pretty cool. They all had to learn to surf for this. Lori Petty had never even been in the ocean. Patrick Swayze broke like four or five ribs <laughs> during the surfing, but refused to have a stunt man. Yeah. Because that's how Bodie so he is. Hell yeah. Same thing with the uh, skydiving scenes. Because they you... went out to surf at night. Do you remember when they went out to surf at night? gonna die just feel what the wave is doing then accept its energy get in sync and charge with it you don't need to see yeah right vision is highly overrated yeah <laughs> yeah highly overrated. they went on to now he actually got up on the wave and they're both uh surfing together this is the greatest thing ever Woo! but that was very yoda right why would luke uh helmet on yeah why why would you need to look you just feel it feel it a night surf surfing is 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 very much being like a jedi night 
Tell me, in all the times we've uh, been blessed to go to uh, SoCal and uh, be on the PCH, how many times did you think, someday, man, we're going to have a nice night fire by the beach and maybe even some night football where we all take our Jeeps and well, turn I wanna, the headlights into the ocean? Like here's what we got to do. We got to have some badass people there with us because... <laughs> Here's how badass the guys are they hang out with. Not only do they pour beer in their Cheerios to uh, eat their their breakfast, right? But if they're going to have a fire on the beach, and make no mistake about it, if you're hanging with Bodie's crew, you will have a fire on the beach. Yeah. All and, the time. But if be, you are. Go so on. now here you got your pile of wood. What do I do? Do I get a match? Do I get a lighter? Here, I will need those things. Here, though, I have a, a, a thing of lighter fluid in my hand. Now, <laughs> I could open it. There's a top. You pull the top open or you unscrew it and you pour it out. No. What they do is they stab a knife into the side of it. Did you notice that, Julie? The way to get the lighter fluid onto your fire is I stab a knife into my lighter fluid and then I hold it over and I squeeze it. And there's lighter fluid all over the Everybody place. Everybody knows this. And then to tend the fire, you pretty much just kind of lay with one leg in the fire and just that was kick, a, kick the wood around. I didn't Maybe get that totally. Spit a little but, beer on it every now and yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, more Bodie wisdom. After they did discover that he is an FBI agent, uh, they're arguing in the van. But uh, Bodie has an interesting argument back to, uh, to Johnny Utah. Bodie, this is your f***ing wake-up call, man. I am an FBI agent! I know, man, isn't it wild? <laughs> but you know, that's what makes it great, Johnny. We can exist on a different plane. We can make our own rules. Why be a servant to the law when you can be its master? Hey, I love this job. That's right. <laughs> of course, then they make him uh, take part in a bank robbery. It all goes wrong as Bodie doesn't follow his own rules for being in the bank. Uh, why'd, uh, why'd you go to the safe, man? It's weird, man. You don't it's have really time. weird. Um, Just hit the cash drawers. We're out of here. Then they, 90 seconds are left, Jake. Then, of course, they uh, went up to skydive. Um, then uh, Bodie, or excuse me, Utah jumped out of the plane without a chute so he could uh, go to Bodie. You remember? They uh, crashed to the ground together. What was the show on the Discovery Channel where they tested to see if this was real? Mythbusters. Mythbusters. And they proved you could do this. You do fly faster if you make yourself a bullet and you could catch somebody who's uh, just regular skydiving. Uh, now, can you can you hold on to them when they pull their chute and they get yanked back up into the sky? Do you, are your arms going to be able to hold on well enough? That's, are you a former Heisman Trophy winner? Who, that's, I, absolutely not. Didn't go to law school. None of that. Who could dive under the water and find bricks while blindfolded? Um <laughs> Then Utah, of course, meets Bodie at Bell's Beach at the very end because that's where uh, Bodie was looking for the 50-year uh, wave. Storm. Storm. Which, yeah. uh, and then Bodie has him captured. Other FBI agents closing in. He had handcuffed himself to uh, Bodie. Excuse me. Utah has Bodie captured. They handcuffed uh, together. Bodie, though, talks him out of it. Talks him out of, uh, says, you know, the wave. Look at it, bro. And... And uh, actually, Utah then decided, yes, I forgot. In the end, we are in love. I've been chasing him and using government money for the past year. Searched every city in Mexico. Finally found you here. Um, but a dead piece of meat in Fiji. I will let you go. And uh, then, in fact, 
after talking to Bodie there, decided he's kind of right, um, and he threw his badge into the ocean. He's not. He's not for this life. He's actually more into surfing. And uh, movie ended. Amen. And uh, I'm not gonna paddle New Zealand. All lives changed. <laughs> so where did and he- this wasn't the end of the movie, but this is what you think. Yo, Johnny. I'll see you in the next life. And then it's kind of like uh, Inception, too. Is it still spinning? Did it fall? Uh, is Bodie alive somewhere? My question is, where did Johnny have to go that he can't watch Bodie complete his... Like, just see? Does he wash ashore? In yeah, a, like he uh... walks away and flips his badge. Everyone else has uh, got binoculars on Bodie to see what happens. I'm I mean, where do, you have to, where do you have to go? You're in freaking Australia, man. Your plane doesn't leave till tomorrow. No. Part of my life Going is over. Find his woman. I'm done. I'm moving. By I'm the just way, on the move. Great job by Anthony Kiedis, By the way, thought he was awesome. They were all awesome. Everybody of, was friend awesome. Friend of War Child. Everybody was awesome. A uh, quadruple plus. Back off, War Child. Seriously. Thank Back you, off, uh, War Child. Thank seriously. you, Alamo Drafthouse Cinema, for making this dream a reality for us. And uh, good time was had by all. Like War Child wasn't sure if he was serious. You know, he had to say seriously. Back off. 61 degrees in Malibu. Well, P1s, that's all for the podcast this week. Have a fun weekend. I like that. We're ghosts. Classic I've been uh, giving this a lot of thought and um, sit down. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we got a lot of competition right now. There's like five, 17 new sports stations in town. Right. Man, we got to ratchet it up, man. We're yeah, not gonna we just, are. Man, I'm not going to sit on a lead. I'm, I'm not going to sit on a lead, Corby. Well, I don't think you we You got to know that about me. You I, have to understand, I ain't going to sit on a lead, Corby. I realize that. Corby, <laughs> Corby, we got to do something. We are. We're, we got we to gotta have lots of beds. And I need everything all the time right now. I know that. <laughs> what, I think what, what kind of bitch are you working on right now? Well, like I said, I'm editing the overcusters. Man, we need more than that. We need well, 14 I... overcusters today. Hey, listen. You know, Ryder ain't funny. I'm sorry, but that stuff he was coming up with in the meeting, somebody needs to tell Ryder that his George W. Bush sucks. I agree. That's <laughs> I mean, that's horrible. That's pretty bad. But, you know, he wants to do his bit. Hey, an idea is an idea. That's fine. That's Ryder, you know. But... I'll help you out since I'm kind of a funny one on the show. Right. I'll help out and come up with some comedy ideas, all right? Well, I'll tell you what. I appreciate all the help that you I've give I've been me. actually working on my guitar playing, and I know that you <laughs> like to do a lot of funny songs from time to time, so I thought maybe I'd do a song. That'd be pretty funny, wouldn't it? <laughs> Sound funny? Yeah, it does. It sounds funny. How what about Baby, when I think about you in your life. That's a that's just a bad company song. Oh, you, what's wrong with it? That's a song, right? Songs are funny. Well, no, normally what I'll do is I'll write an original song. That's part of the that's part of the comedy is doing something more original, not just covering a song. Like and an original a, Texas song. Well, that's just a downer song anyway. You need something a little more something upbeat. upbeat, something original, homegrown kind of thing. Right. Z Z Top, brother. <laughs> <laughs>
That's actually a good idea. All right, then. All right, let's do an overcusser right now. Three, two, one. Wait, Here we wait, go. we don't have an actually. You got to go into a locker room. How am I supposed to get an athlete? That's not my job. Let's go into a locker room. All right, we'll practice one. Okay, we'll practice one. I'll tell you what, I'll just be some spared affair. Just pretend like I'm Ricky Henderson, okay? All right. And you can overcuss Ricky Henderson. All right, here it goes. I'm going to take a more active role in this job. Okay. Hey, Ricky. Yeah. F*** you. F*** you. No, okay. That's not what you need to What's do. What's wrong? Wait, wait, that wasn't good? No, you need to ask a question. Oh, okay. Ask a question. Um, hey, Ricky. Yeah. Um, Greg Williams with a ticket. Uh, right. Ricky, do you need to take a s***? Can you take a s***? Grego, get in your ass. Oh man! That's a question, yes, but you might want to use a sports angle. That normally works. You want to make it a normal question and just pack it with curse words. Like what? A good example would be Ricky Henderson. He's the all-time stolen base leader. So just. Ask him somehow a question about stolen bases and just throw a couple of F-bombs and S-bombs in there. It's really easy. Okay. Hey, Ricky. Uh, Greg Hammer, AM13. Hey, it's good to meet you. Yeah, um, you're uh, like the all-time base dealer. Right. Um, does that make you want to f*** me? Oh, my there a little bit. 